in the in the audiobook it's 1973 and i think back on just watching i love the 70s for oh like, yeah hours as a teen but it's it's weird to think back on just imbibing the kitsch of the decade and you not only look back and you know imagine michael ian black talking about i don't know like shrinky dinks or the, yeah, break, the fucking, brady bunch yeah fucking shrinky dinks oh or, or happy days is a perfect example right because like yeah you, you can you can do a really interesting and Pearlstein does uh, do a very interesting read of Happy Days in like the post Watergate post Vietnam environment when there really was this very real and you know seemingly pretty tangible feeling that Americans wanted to go back to this age of innocence uh, yeah and Happy Days coming out and being a gigantic hit then. Saying like, no guys, forget about your kids. Like, let's look back at this idealized version of like what kids were like, you know, when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Very funny and, and yeah. interesting. But a, you know, I look, I look back on that, the VH1's program, VH1 programs, and it just, it seems, it seems kind of sinister. It's like if you yeah. judge, if you just presume to get the culture without the politics i don't know it all like it almost leads one it gives me the uneasy feeling that like if you're getting culture without politics politics are being smuggled in you just don't know how and you just don't know where uh yeah and it might be hard to identify anyway so i've been thinking about that some i also watched uh terminator one and two Ooh, hell yeah baby i i watched i watched both of those in a weekend maybe like three months ago kind of like alien and aliens by terminator 2 you see cameron like fully going for the kind of like hokey kind of heartwarming there's always kids involved uh place he eventually ends up even though it is still a Terminator movie and um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really fun. I fucking love both those movies. I've never like I don't I honestly can't think of like a more sinister presence than Arnold in that first movie. Trying to get back to like how terrifying that singular presence is after knowing about the sequel and the franchise. It's you know you ha- you have to, you have to kind of like put yourself in that headspace. But yeah, that yeah. movie that movie rocks. Uh, the whole police station Holocaust scene rocks. So uh, good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's her name? Sarah Connor. Uh, she's she's a, ga- a great protagonist. And between one and two, she, of course, goes like probably even further than Ripley in Alien. Uh, yeah. In Alien franchise just uh, becoming, you know, hanging out with like Nicaraguan gun runners. <laughs> yeah. So here's a fun fact. I don't know if you know this. In Terminator 2, the only time that a human kills another human is a cop killing a black man. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's Miles Dyson. It's in the shootout at headquarters. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and he, he goes out and they shoot him. Um, and that was supposedly – and this, this was being discussed a lot during the, like, the, height, of, um, the height of this year's activism. Um, yeah. right around Jacob Blake's shooting. 
is that people were talking about how James Cameron is like pretty anti-cop and like this is made in the aftermath of the 1992 riots and he made the conscious choice to have the bad guy spend most of his time dressed as an LAPD officer. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I su- supposedly it was purposeful that no human would kill another human other than LAPD shooting a black guy. Seeing the T-1000 in a cop uniform the entire time. Mm-hmm. You can't, yeah, you can't help but notice that. Uh, yeah. So that's that's also compelling. It's it's interesting to like. I wonder, you know, how much Schwarzenegger's star power had changed. To you can imagine, like uh, Cameron and the producers just looking back and being like, "Holy shit!" Like the real, like what we didn't mine in Terminator One is just how like lovable and funny this guy can be yeah uh, so, exactly you know uh i remember yeah. we, we can we can move from terminator to lost in just a second but um i remember reading something once that james cameron was very involved in the marketing strategy for terminator 2 because it was going to be slowly revealed that actually arnold was a good guy in this one mm-hmm. um and so, like, they started, like, dropping hints, and then finally, like, the last trailer confirmed it, that uh, that he was going to be, be the good guy in this one. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think that the whole AFI list is, like, a pretty cynical thing, but the Terminator is the only character to be on both the top 50 villains and top 50 heroes of the AFI, uh, like, 2005 list or whatever it was. Nice. We both, I think, watched a good deal of Carpenter and Cronenberg this yeah this year. Now that now that movies as a thing are you know slowly being degraded and maybe even you know ending soon. Uh, yeah, gotta gotta turn back to the classics. Gotta turn back the clock, baby. Uh, speaking <laughs> of turning back the clock, welcome to uh, you lost me's hour of dissecting Orientalist tropes in the show Lost. Oh, yeah. um, uh, this is the Lost Me podcast. My name is Ben. That's Spencer. Uh, I have watched Lost a whole bunch. He is watching it for the first time, and we're talking about it. So this is season one, episode seventeen, uh, called "In Translation." Uh, clearly, you know, lost in translation. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you think? We didn't we didn't get a lot of broad narrative progress, but as far as uh, the flashbacks go and the relationships go, uh, that stuff was all pretty good. Uh, I thought it was pretty solid. Uh, it was it was interesting, and I, I like the approach with these flashbacks. Not just not just adding in more episodes in Sun and Jin's life, but showing episodes we've already seen from different perspectives. Yeah, uh, I like that a lot. Adding new context to some things, uh, and that I thought was really effectively done. Yeah, I agree. Um, I liked this episode a lot. I think that uh, it's always nice when Sun and Sun and Jinder are characters that I don't think always work well with others yet because of the language thing. Um, but when you get to just sort of really go down on them, I think uh, they work really. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, I love going down on them. Both of them. 
Fuck you, man. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the flashback first. Um, we see Jin asking Mr. Peck for permission to marry a son, and it's a very sort of, I don't know, just again, like I said, with the whole very tropey of the, you know, mm-hmm. as, or the, the ambitious Korean man asking, you know, for the daughter's place in marriage. Like it's like, it's like a feudal uh, fucking yeah. marriage or something. Um, yeah. And kind of, kind of trapping him in these like kind of cone, like inquisitive uh, dialogues. Like, uh, you know, why would I give my daughter to a man who sells his dreams? Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh Yeah. Um, so they get married and Jin goes in and he's, uh, you know, he's trying to, to get something going before, before they go down and see their guests. And we get the detail there, uh, that, you know, I wish your father had lived to see this, yep. uh, what son says. And so Jin is kind of deceiving everyone, telling them his father died because he is ashamed to be the son of a poor fisherman. But, you know, we yep. haven't learned that yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we get to that at the end. I, I love that scene with the dad. I think that's such a fun... Um, you might be sort of picking up on the fact that father issues are like a big part of loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's many more of those to come. But it's kind of nice seeing like a good dad on this show. Yeah, but just plot-wise, you know, uh, he... He promises the the honeymoon she's always dreamed of as soon as his management training is done. Uh, of course, that, uh, as you could probably guess, uh, never comes to pass. Yeah, but she does get a heckin' good pupper. <laughs> I think in the very next uh, flashback scene, uh, he gets a promotion from yep. Sun's father and is asked to deliver a message to the, I don't know, what is, what is that guy's role? He is the Korean Secretary for Environmental Safety. Yeah, uh, and deliver a message like, hey, I'm displeased with you. Which Jin uh, Jin takes literally and thinks it's, yeah. you know, hey, you know, we're, we're having some trouble. Uh, but obviously that is not what Mr. Peck had in mind. But I kind of wonder is like, did Mr. Peck really think that Jin's going to pick up on that? Like, did he not, <laughs> wouldn't it be easier to be like, hey, like, go beat the shit out of this guy? Uh, how much does Jin know about the organization really at that point? You know, does he think he's effectively working for the front business, right? I don't think he realizes it yet. I, I think he still thinks he's just, you know, training to be a, an executive of this great company. Yeah. Uh, until he, you know, goes back and, and beats the shit out of the dude. Um, but before that, Sun makes a fancy dinner. That food looked fucking great. Jin has to leave in the middle of it. Sort of a classic television trope of, you know, the, the husband being called away from his lovingly prepared dinner to go work. Yeah, two minutes after he, he says, uh, no work tonight. And like, uh, yeah. you know. uh, I was surprised to see Jin uh, sparing the guy's life. I thought at that point it was like, hey, like, you know, go kill the dude. Uh, yeah. But he does so uh, and comes back. And when when is he's accosted by Sun about the blood on his hands, uh, and she she's like saying, "Hey, what do you do?" It's I do whatever your father tells me. Uh, yeah. And 
uh, Jin has a cry and in the in in the bathroom alone and uh, yeah you you really you really feel for the guy it's as I've as I've kind of alluded to before it's never been clear to me like to what extent this was an abusive marriage uh, and Jin for the language barrier and for just him not being kind of a protagonist character ever this is this is a, a real intimate moment probably the first we've, we've gotten we've gotten with him yeah you know he's definitely a like a complicated character um and the way they handle him going forward is very interesting i'm looking forward to talking about it with you um yeah but, but for now um you know i don't think we're supposed to believe it was an abusive marriage per se i think more that Jin just very much like shut her off completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then she took that to the next level of being afraid of him because she saw him covered in someone else's blood and realized that he yeah. was, you know, basically a hitman for his her father. But yeah, those uh those tears really 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 feel for the guy. Uh yeah. I think the next scene is that one we mentioned before where he uh, goes and finds his father and uh, is basically asking for advice along with apologizing for uh, for shutting him out, for being ashamed of him. Uh, Jin says, in a good world, uh, she would hate she would hate her father, not me, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, we, we also get the heartbreaking fact here that. For Jin, this was to be one last job, and then he was out. Yep. It's his. It's his father who, who suggests that. It's uh, it's 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 very interesting. Yeah, I, I really love also when Jin. I mean, it's a little hokey, but I like that where he responds. It is a good world to that line about you know in a good world she'd hate him. Yeah. Um It's it's a very like. Like you said, just a very heartfelt moment overall, and I think Lost handles it those type of moments pretty well when they do give you to them. So small moment that it is. And like Jin's father is not a major character or anything, but just a nice little scene um, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. So then let's, that's pretty much it for the flashback. You know, it ties into the main story a little bit. Well, if it, if you know, if it does in a way that we think we should talk about, but I think they're separate enough that we can just sort of go to the on Island stuff. Yeah, let's do it. We start off with Sun uh, in a bikini and Jin getting pretty pissed. And this is one thing they don't really explain, like why he's sort of this misogynist in that way. Um, Like him having to like kill for his father, her father or whatever, doesn't explain that. And that to me really just feels like ethnic stereotype of, you know, the, the bitter, jealous, you know, Asian hard man husband. I feel like a male partner being jealous or controlling over that kind of thing is just so common that it's almost that it's almost like it's almost like you don't really need to explain it. It's just kind of like the background noise of uh That's fair. Yeah, I guess I just also kind of got like the like submissive Asian woman vibes also from Sun. Yeah. Um in in a way that like doesn't really fit her character as it describe as she grows, um, and so it, it it just sort of feels a little hacked. And a, I'm not saying it's racist. I'm saying just like it definitely sort of stinks of that a little bit to me. 
Yeah, it it would be naive to think these tropes aren't being like traded on on some level, you know? It's like this is American media about about Koreans, people who had not been portrayed very much in mainstream American media up to up to that point, so. Yeah. Michael steps in, and these moments are so interesting to me. I th- I think about the guy stepping in to, "Hey, stop that. Don't treat her like that." I I think about those chivalrous moments and you know chivalrous and air quotes a lot because now I can't I can't look at them without seeing like oh I I I wish a motherfucker would you can imagine being an angry kind of pent up violent stymied dude walking around like looking for something like that so he can step in right yeah uh, mm-hmm. Sure, there are some noble intentions there, but it also 100% is about Michael. Yeah, I don't know. It, it feels very sort of like the like proto, like nice guy type of white knighting sort of thing. This is really about the guy sort of proving, you know, that he's not that person. You know, you're, you're uh, always out there scanning for opportunities where your violence can be justified. Anyway, uh, so anyway. yeah, you know, My- Michael kind of gives into that. And uh, man, when he gets slapped, I think, I, I think out loud, I was just like, hell yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was hardcore from Sun. Yeah. So then uh, Jin is just, you know, having himself a golf and, uh, Hitting some stones. Hurley tries to be his friend in a very funny and Hurley way. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk in depth about Hurley's line later. But uh, Hurley was great in this episode. He had those previous kind of uh, exchanges and that relationship with Jin about yeah. uh, mm-hmm. try, trying to see Urchin and uh, wanting, to be, wanting to be helpful. Uh, and in this moment, he's just like, fine, dude, if you want to suffer alone, go ahead. And it's just like... Well, really, also, Hurley, like, there's a language barrier. Yeah. Like, how, how much are you really you. going to be able to do? Yeah, but uh, yeah. he tries. Michael's working on the raft, the raft you didn't believe was real. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's really making it, Contiki style. Yeah, and uh, we find out that Sawyer has bought his way onto the raft. Uh, fun little scene there. Uh, I love Sawyer's, I'm a spender, not a, sa- I'm a saver, not a spender. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, Sun and Jin, or sorry, Sun and Kate talk about Jin in English, and we get to uh, hear a little bit about uh, sort of, again, sort of like this very classic trope. He doesn't even have to talk about race, just like about the sort of semi-abusive relationship about how he used to be so tender and sweet and tell me how beautiful I was. Sun and Kate are talking. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's okay. And then, of course... The raft's on fire. We're all running to put it out. Before we get to the fire, uh, this yeah. conversation between Michael and Walt really made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, uh, Michael's like, you know what I want to show you in New York? The buildings, the architecture. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. For people who don't know, I, I used to be an architecture journalist in, in New York. You know, so if anyone kind of like is sentimental or likes to see buildings it should be me but just imagine being how 11 is walt 11 10 i think Uh, imagine being 10 and your dad is just like i can't wait to show you a building (laughs) it's so absurd like as if 
looking up at architecture is like even a minuscule part of enjoying life in New York. It's just very funny yeah. and extremely cheesy. Like yeah. the Flatiron Building, it's flat. I can't wait to show it. <laughs> yeah, I did love that. I did love that. It's flat line. <laughs> yeah, yeah man, we picked up on that. We also get those uh, early Saeed and Shannon scenes, chilling and flirting. Uh, Saeed goes to Boone and kind of uh, just presents it to him. Hey, I have romantic intense on your sister. And Boone uh, tells him flat out that, uh, you know, prepare to be used and cast aside. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting scene there. And I like saying sort of ever calmly, just like calmly alpha, just like, I was not asking for your permission. Say it, say it's, you know, he's, he's, he's the, he's the good alpha. He's as, as opposed to, uh, to Jin. Well, if, if we're skipping ahead a, a little bit, you know, if we're just following this plot thread for now, it's interesting though, because I thought he almost betrayed that in that, he really does act on what Boone is saying. It gets to him, you know? That's true. And You're you, absolutely right. You, yeah, and you can imagine, like, I was disappointed in that moment. Uh, you know, you can imagine a number of justifications in Saeed's mind. Like, maybe there is this kind of, like, I want to be a leader and a unifier part of him that really just wants to back away from the conflict. Like, yeah. you know... Maybe maybe he's been hurt before. <laughs> well, it also um, sort of just it also I think sort of speaks to this like sort of very like relevant in this time period cultural trope of like just like the user woman, right? That's like certainly still around, but I feel like was definitely pretty heightened in this sort of early two thousands cultural moment of like, you know, just the gold digging shrew. Or whatever. Yeah, I suppose maybe he's been. I mean, I don't. I don't remember if he was party to it all. You know, Charlie being used by Shannon and feeling burnt by it before he turns fully to Claire as his kind of romantic interest. But uh, maybe he picked up on a little. On could some, be. Some of that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he was directly part of it, but but it's you know it's feasible in our head canon that he yeah. <laughs> saw this going on. Um, anyway, let's uh, let let's do the fire. The raft is on fire. Okay. The raft's on fire, and these guys they just want to throw sand on it, baby. That's all they got. <laughs> Why are you? I mean, isn't that a good way to put out a fire? Uh, it, for for know. those who it don't just... know, uh, Ben was like a real. Like capital B high adventure Boy Scout. Like, isn't isn't sand like kind of what you should use? I mean, I mean, sure. Like, but like, they're just like this thing is fucking burnt. Like, it's done. They're just <laughs> yeah, shovel- that's true. They're, just, they're just shoveling sand. You're right. I shouldn't say that's all they want to do. I should just say that they really want to fucking do it because it's not doing anything. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, uh, and. In, you know, one of the early shots that kind of directs your suspicions as a viewer is as people are running towards the fire, uh, Locke, Locke doesn't immediately run and he kind of, he gives this look. Uh, I don't know how to, how to describe his expression, but, 
it's maybe kind of knowing in that moment. So as a viewer, I think, you know, I think you go in assuming that this is going to be another, you know, in translation mix up, uh, just like, just like the watch from that earlier episode where yeah. of Michael and Jin's first fight. I think yeah. as a viewer in this moment, you assume Jin didn't do it. And I assume, I assumed Locke did. Interesting. If anyone, uh, would really want to keep p- people on the Island, uh, it, you know, you would turn to Locke first as, the person who clearly and like vocally believes that the island has positive uh, things in yeah. store for people. It's absolutely right. Um, so anyway, they don't know where Jin is, but Sun sees Jin at the caves and his hands are burned and she thinks he did it and he can't believe that she would think that and he storms off. Yeah. Later though, uh, Sawyer finds Jin and calls him down to the... Uh, to the beach. Um, yeah, me- messed up my ride, chief. <laughs> messed up my ride, chief. Yeah, good shit. <laughs> good shit. Uh, real kicks him real hard. Just really yeah, leads yeah. into it. Um, and then uh, brings him down to the beach. And I don't remember where exactly it is in the scene, but at some point, I love that so- uh, Sawyer calls uh, calls Jin Bruce. <laughs> as, yes as in bruce lee uh yeah <laughs> just freewheeling not just, even not even the right kind of asian yeah exactly just 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 not even casual racism aggressive racism but not <laughs> aggressive casual racism i guess is how i would how i would call it yeah um, and in in that in that maybe in that scene maybe in the earlier one between Sawyer and Jin uh he gives that great line you know people on the beach might have been doctors okay. and lawyers a month ago a month ago but it's it's lord of the flies time now uh yeah and that that brought me back to Sawyer and Jack in the fuselage and the you know where we are <laughs> jungle baby you gotta die <laughs> <laughs> great record uh oh, of, of, the, of the ones i got in middle school because uh i wanted to fit in with my friends who liked rock and roll one of the actually good ones uh, oh, that record fucking whips ass yeah if only i could uh not uh have every single red hot chili peppers song uh, <laughs> memorized uh anyway uh, but yeah, we get to that great scene where Michael accosts Jin on the, uh, Jin on the, on the beach. Uh, you yeah. burned my raft, you burned my raft, man. <laughs> yeah. I love that, uh, Walt is also running like full steam ahead with Michael. He doesn't end up joining the fight or anything, but he's like, he's ready to go. Yeah. You know, I, it would be. Given the, what we learned by the end, I, I would want to watch those scenes and kind of kind of pay attention to him. He's a yeah. He's a du- duplicitous little guy. I mean yeah. But you know, kids are often liars. Yeah, this is true. Um, uh, but this we're coming to a point that I had to chat Ben about earlier because I oh, really yeah. <laughs> wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. Uh, or I wasn't uh, reading something in to this to this exchange that was gonna say a lot more about me. Uh, 
So there are these lines where uh, Jin is talking to Sun with Michael kind of between them. Uh, and, you know, everyone else uh, in the cast is kind of around uh, trying to stop or intervene in this fight or whatever. Uh, and uh, Michael goes, are you are you saying something about me? Are you are you uh, is he talking about me? Uh, and there's a couple of those and. Uh, it is after that that Michael, you know, gets on him, just just punches him in the face. And what I asked Ben earlier is like, are mm-hmm. we really, were they really telegraphing that Michael thought he was being called the N-word? I think, this is what I think. Uh-huh. I think that if, it, if you watch this and picked up on that and it hadn't been referenced before, it might say more about you, but <laughs> and me because I thought the same thing. Yeah, I I thought that at least on some level the writers were trying to telegraph to us that Michael thinks he's being racially insulted, um, and or called a racial slur, I should say. And so there was the earlier scene in the the same episode with the watch where. Saeed says something about backing away to Michael. says, you know, is there anything you could have done to offend him? And Michael says, where are you from, man? And Saeed says, Decrete. And Michael says, I don't know what it's like in Decrete, but where I come from, Korean people don't like black people. Yeah. And so the fact that the writers included that scene, and then we have this another moment of tension where Michael thinks Jin is addressing him. I think that you would be... In, it would be impossible not to read that into it. <laughs> and, you know, for any listeners who, who might not know this is a thing, just a quick Google will lead you to Quora question upon Quora question, you know, basically the new uh, Yahoo answers, uh, you know, with answers like, it's not the N word, it just sounds like it. You know, apparently it means I or you. Uh, I don't know. I don't listen to K-pop. I don't actually come across as much, so. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that's that's that. I I I I don't know if you're an intelligent viewer at all. I don't know how you're going to not at least think that. And I would even venture to guess. We'll wrap this discussion up in a second. But I would venture to guess that if Lost were being made today, it would be made explicit that that's what Michael thinks is happening. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that that'd be pretty funny. That's what I. That's what I think. I think that. You would be crazy to not think the writers were at least trying to imply that's what's going on, even if they didn't have the guts or the ability to do it in 2005. <laughs> to do it outright. Yeah. Uh, we, I'm, I'm marking this down now. We, we need to do a full bonus, maybe at the end of this se- season, on what if Lost Season 1 was made today. Because oh, yeah. That, you, know, you keep bringing up that as a concept, and there's so much there. Um. So, uh, eventually, uh, as they're about to be, like, really go in on, on Sun, uh, or sorry, on Jin for the last time, Sun screams, stop it, reveals that she speaks English, um, and then we get Hurley's great line of, didn't see that coming. Yeah. Uh, real good classic Hurley. Love it. Then, uh, Jin and Sun... Uh, go into the caves and he sort of walks away and they're separate 
and uh, as we'll go back to the last thing with Walt in a second, but um, you know, son walks down to the beach in her bikini and you know, thematically lets her thing flow away, her towel or whatever, her drape. Jin goes and gets a job on the boat helping Michael. It's very sort of, uh, you don't get sort of these like finite breaks in Lost, in Lost too often. I sort of like the way they they actually have a relationship change substantially. Yeah, and that, that coincides or comes right after the uh, reveal in the flashbacks that uh, Jin was prepared to leave his life behind for her and, yeah. to tr- and was on the cusp of like trying to make a big uh, change to save their relationship. So yeah, it's really, it's, it's heartbreaking that they get to this point. And yeah, as far as things that I did not expect at all, Jin uh, taking comfort in uh, working on a raft with dudes. Yeah. Uh, He's, yeah, a man, he's a man going his own way. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has, yeah. There, there's, there's two circles. There's the the beach people and the cave people, and then the middle circle in the Venn diagram is all of the MGTOW guys. Yeah. Uh, and and Jin is definitely one. It sucks, dude. Something you think could be resolved if uh, Jin would, for example, uh, just come out and say that. You know, he also had a secret, which was, again, that he was he was prepared to stay in America after they went and did that job with the watches. Yeah. Um, other stuff to wrap up on the island. Uh, there is, after the fight, there's the Locke speech about, um, you know, we're not the only people on this island and we all know it. Maybe we should stop stop worrying about each other and start thinking about them. Just, that's an iconic lost moment, that speech from Locke. Him uh, just kind of reminding everyone and making explicit the ongoing threat of uh, the others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but when the narrative, the broader narrative, doesn't get moved forward in an episode, you really have to sit and really tally, like, Okay, how many? How long has it been since we heard anything about Rousseau? About about the others? The, the uh, how long has it been since we were? Re- yeah, exactly. We're reminded of the hatch, and I yeah. As as a viewer, I can imagine then that getting a little frustrating. I think s- some of that is baked in to the format of the show, right? Like it's not as if we're gonna get. If we got multiple lock episodes in a row, uh, it would be a lot easier for us to re- see some, you know, for example, real hatch progress. But that's not the Absolutely. format of the show. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I will say, and I'm about to, uh, when I get to the end of the episode, I'll tease what we're about to, about to have happen. But um, you're about to, these last couple episodes, we're clearly stalling these plots. And in the next episode, it's when these the sort of wheels start setting in motion towards the finale for all the main like mythology plots. Yeah. Um. So, uh, we also get uh, Locke having the conversation with Walt while they're playing backgammon, and 
he you know tells Walt that he knows who burned the raft that he knows that he burned the raft and Walt explains he doesn't want to move anymore. Um, do you think Walt's being honest that he doesn't want to move anymore or is it that he's special and feels some sort of weird connection to the island? What do you think's going on there? <laughs> that was I feel like that was a bit of a leading question. Uh, probably both. I don't think it's too leading. You know, how many sitcoms have had the kid who doesn't want to move anymore, right? Uh, yeah. And to have that on a desert island with a bunch <laughs> yeah. of fucked up shit going on it is, on the one hand, very funny. Uh, but I did buy this just because he is part of the Locke circle. Like, it's not just, yeah. it's not just Locke that likes the island. Walt is included in that. So I guess what I what interests me is wondering like did Locke see him trying to burn it and not stop him? I think that's the implication. Oh wow, okay. So, you know, Locke in that case would be somewhat implicated. Yeah, a pretty extreme thing for a kid to do. Yeah. Little little hint dropped about what something that might be coming is that when uh Walt asks Locke if his dad's cool he very decidedly says that his dad is not cool. Put that one in the back of your old mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, how, how do you get a character uh, like Locke without extreme daddy issues? Yeah. Uh, Said and Shannon kiss. That's a nice moment. Shannon has this earlier scene with Locke where she, I think she's asking, like, what did Boone say about me? Uh, something like that, yeah. you know, and he, and he gives her his his lock advice that he kind of gives everyone. Everyone's got a new life on this island, Shannon. Maybe it's time you start yours. Uh, we've definitely heard that's you know that sentiment before from him. But yeah, they is, is this the first kiss of the show? Uh, no, Sayi or Sawyer and uh, Kate. Ah, uh, yeah, and the torture yes, scene. Of course. Um, of course. And then uh, the end of the episode is Hurley's batteries dying in his uh, yeah yeah in his CD player. Very sad moment. Was this like a Damien Rice song? I think it I was. looked it up. Walgreens music. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and he's pissed. Um, and like like I've said before, these like these very ABC ish musical numbers at the end. I just. I cringe. I groan. They they are the part of the show that like doesn't fit for me. So it was it was nice at this one to have that kind of that Walkman breaking moment. It was funny. It was it was almost yeah. as if the show the show was kind of winking to uh, the part of the audience that might have felt the same way I did. Uh, which I funny. think you're right. Um, all right. So I've gone the whole episode. I wanted to wait to see if you would bring it up. Did you notice the crossover? In the flashback. Holy shit, no. Okay, you gotta go back and watch it. So, when... Uh, the first time that uh, Jin bursts into... Goes into that guy's house. And he just says... Uh, you know... Don't... Like, uh, Mr. Peck is very disappointed. And the guy gives him the dog. Right? Yeah. His, his daughter is watching TV. On that TV is a local news report with Hurley on it. What? Yep. What? Holy shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm like smiling ear to ear. That's incredible. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I gotta go back and see that. That's uh... so go back and watch that. And you should especially go back and watch that because next week we get our first ever Hurley episode. Fucking uh, finally. <laughs> it's, called, it's called Numbers and it fucking rules. I'm so, so ready for this. I can't tell you how much. He is just, uh, yeah, I can see why Rivers Cuomo uh, named the album. Uh, <laughs> Made him the album he, cover and then the album Yeah. Name, yeah. I don't know. He he's such a great presence in the show. In that, like, you can think of Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, who cuts against the tone of the show so much that it almost feels jarring. And then by the end, you really come to appreciate him a lot as the kind of comic relief. And Hurley rides this really great fine line of being, you know, of course, a real guy on the island who helps people out. But he also gets, you know, all of those great kind of uh, meta lines like didn't see that one coming. And in the end is just like a chill fat dude still who (laughs) is not too perturbed by any of this most of the time. Yeah. No, the the Hurley's audience surrogate is incredible. And it gets so much better. There will be times when you're watching the show and you're like, I'm not sure I buy this. And then Hurley will have his line where he questions it. And you're like, okay, it's all right. Hurley's in on it. Yeah, yeah. The show, uh, the show needs him. It, uh, it would be very different without, without that kind of that presence to draw on. So, yeah, I think that's it for this week. Um, if you like the show, let us know. Tell other people to what, listen to it, whatever. Um, and yeah, next week we'll be back talking about numbers, the first Hurley uh, episode. Yeah, we All hope right. you'll join us.